to humans leading humans towards a future of work that works for people. A smorgasbord of snackable stories to help you be a more effective leader. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Thank you so much for dedicating the next half hour of your one precious life to listen to this podcast. And I can promise you, you will not regret this. So today's guest is the smart, uh, the warm, the 100% imaginal Gary Coombe, who is the CEO of P&G's Gillette brand. So just before I started recording this, I Googled Gillette. Now, apparently the Gillette brand is worth $14.5 billion. So that's one pretty serious business. So as I say, Gary Coombe is the CEO of Gillette, and I had a very, very long and memorable conversation with him last week. And what I took away was that his stories, his thinking, his human-centered vision absolutely resonate with me and with the create way of looking at leadership. And I know that they will resonate with you too. So I, I genuinely cannot wait for this conversation. I know, I just know in my tummy that this week is going to be a cracker. But before I introduce you to Gary, I want to say again, massive, massive thank you to all of you who take time to contact me, to send me your feedback and your suggestions of what you want to see more of, of what's working, of how I can improve the show. Your feedback really energizes me. It keeps me going. It makes me want to record next week. So please, please, please head over to catskeely.com and sign up to the Humans Leading Humans newsletter. And obviously contact me directly, DM me on LinkedIn. Tell me what you loved. Tell me what could have been better. Enough of that. Let's get to the meat of the show. Let me introduce you to the lovely Gary Coombe. Gary Coombe, I am so, so, so delighted that you've joined me as a guest on Humans leading humans. So normally at the beginning of this, I talk about the fact of how I've met people through my network before this and why I've invited them. So you will know, dear listeners, that we are bringing this podcast to you in partnership with the Marketing Society. Now, the woman who heads up the Marketing Society now is one of my favorite people in the universe, this wonderful woman called Sophie Devonshire. Sophie Devonshire said to me, when I very first came out of college, I worked for this guy. This guy is now the CEO of P&G Gillette, and he's absolutely imaginal. So you should interview him. So Gary Coombe, tell the listeners, how did you end up where you are now? Well, let me thank you for that wonderful introduction. That was very generous. 
You know, a lot of luck and good fortune, I think, is the simple answer to your question. I went to a modest university in the UK and I, I've i only ever applied to one company. I've only ever had one interview in my life and, and it was to join P&G as a salesman selling soap powder in Leicester. And I started from there and I've, and I've spent 35 years in the company and had the good fortune to work in different functions, move into general management, work in different businesses, work in different parts around the world. I left the UK 20 years ago and find myself 35 years later doing what I'm doing now. And I have to pinch myself, to be honest. I, you know, it's been a fun, fabulous journey and long may it continue. Fun and fabulous. And I'm sure at some times stressful and difficult because that's the whole journey of getting to be where you are, I'm guessing. Dear listeners, when we had a conversation before we recorded this, Gary said to me, I love what you're doing. I think the CREATE framework is absolutely the way that people should lead. I find it incredibly sad that more companies don't just know that. So, Gary, tell us your story number one. Well, it did strike a chord, the framework. Before I leap into the story, let me say it did strike a chord. And I did, I did find it disappointing, but perhaps not surprising, that so many companies don't really embrace, or so many leaders don't embrace what is really a, a statement of the obvious, isn't it? That, that if we look after our people and if we inspire them and empower them, then they're going to feel better about working for us and, and do better things. And, you know, I have to say that's something that's been ingrained in me, if you like, during my journey at P&G. One, one of the founders of P&G once said, I mean, I'm going back 150 years now, once said, you can take away all my brands, you can take away all my buildings, but if you leave me the people, I'll have it all back in 10 years. I think that's a wonderful line, but it, it speaks to a philosophy of people are our most important assets. And there are many aspects to it. And I could tell many stories and and maybe one day you'll have me back and I'll tell some more. But one of the things that struck me and, and perhaps the first thing I'll talk about is how diversity and equality and inclusion are such an important part of this model. And I think it speaks to equity and empathy and, and many, many of the themes that are in, in your model. And, and my own personal journey has been long and, and a great learning journey in this area of diversity and inclusion. I mean, when I started in the business world, it was essentially, you know, white middle-aged men and very, very few uh, women. If there were people of different sexual orientation, you never knew it, nobody ever said, nobody ever came out. There was very little uh, ethnic diversity. And, and over the years, I have come to genuinely value and appreciate the power of diversity. And I've come to realize that it's a business strategy, not just the right thing to do. And, you know, here's where it starts, Cats. Here's where it starts. You have to believe that talent is equally distributed, averagely equally distributed, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of age. And if you don't believe that, then you're never going to get diversity and inclusion and you may as well switch off now. But if you do believe it, then it's empirically true that if you don't have a diverse team, you'll have a weaker team. It would be like a premiership football club having a squad of 25 players and deciding they're only going to pick the team of 11 from 15 of them. So, I mean, this awakening happened to me five, six, seven years ago. And I, I have become very committed to not just diversity, but trying to help my organization feel included, being able to bring their whole selves to work, 
being able to give their best and feel able to give their best. And I've also come to realize that the burden of solving these issues, which still exist in every organization, can no longer just sit on the shoulders of those most marginalized. This is everybody's job to be able to create an organization like this. And the journey continues. And and most recently, and a more personal story, I will tell you, living and working in the US over the last three years and living through the George Floyd tragedy, and for the first time really, starting to try to understand what it's like to be an African-American in the US. And I'm I'm a Brit and I grew up in in the UK. And I, I had to go to school essentially to learn about what it's like being an African-American in the US. And it was shocking to me. And I did go to school. And incidentally, I think this is a very powerful and important part of leadership. You have to be able to be vulnerable. You have to be able to declare that you don't know the answers. And you have to remain curious and and, and put yourself in a position where you can learn more and publicly learn more. And I stood up and said, look, I don't understand this issue well enough to be able to help you, but I'm please help me, I said to the organization. And they did help me. And you can only learn what you can learn. But I learned so much that I hadn't appreciated. I mean, in my lifetime, interracial marriage in the US was illegal. I mean, as a Brit, I mean, you just think, good Lord, it was illegal for a black man to marry a white woman while I was alive. So, I mean, the recency of the issue in the US on racial discrimination, I had no idea. And the leadership lesson in this is, as I say, to declare a lack of knowledge, but an genuine intention to learn and try and help. And we've made some progress and we haven't, of course, solved the issues. Uh, And we don't yet have the fully inclusive and diverse organization that I would love but we are on the journey and we're making progress. And I think everybody needs to, if they want their A-team. As I said, I'll end where I began. This is a business strategy. And if you want the best team, I promise you, it's going to be a diverse team where everybody feels included. Yeah. And two responses to that. One is um, somebody got back to me recently and said, are you aware of the fact that every single person that you've interviewed are either British or American and white? And I went, oh, God, that's appalling. And so I set out to try and find a senior leader, C-suite leader, who was not white. And (laughs) have you got any idea how difficult that is now? Still, I found that absolutely shocking. And what you were just saying about, you know, the fact that it used to be legal to marry into interracial marriages were illegal. It wasn't that long ago in England, and I didn't realize this until recently, that people could be hung for being gay. Again, you know, I mean, we have come an incredibly long way. And in a couple of weeks' time, we've got this amazing woman called Amy Edmondson, whose entire life has been spent researching diversity and how you get the best out of people. And all of the data that we need is there for us to understand that if you bring the unusual suspects together around the table to try and solve a problem, the solution you get are going to be better, right? So Mm -hmm. all of the data is there for why we should be hiring people from different ages, different colors, blah, blah, whatever. And so what do you do? What are the, for the people who are listening, who are going, we're struggling with this. How do we start to embed not the knowledge but the mindset about people should be able to bring themselves a hundred percent to work i do think 
there are still too many people out there who pay lip service to this and who sort of tacitly agree that it's the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do because it's fair and equitable. And of course, that should be enough, right? I mean, that should be enough reason. But I don't think for some people it is enough reason. And I don't think people have internalized the reality that you will have a weaker team if you don't have a more diverse team. I mean, that's just how it is, right? You will not win as readily or as often as you will wish to in whatever venture or company you're in. If you want to win, you want to have the best team. And if you want to have the best team, talent is equally distributed, right? So why decide you're only going to pick from a limited talent pool? You are closing off. You are leaving to your competition the opportunity to pick the A talent from people that don't look like you and sound like you. Well, aren't yeah. you the genius? <clears throat> you're the loser in that game. They have to internalize it. Because when you internalize it, you think, well, hang on a minute. I do want the A team. I want the best team. So then you do it. So what do you pragmatically do? So, so let me just, from, from a behavioral science perspective, human beings are tribal, which means that we release neurochemicals that one, bind us to our tribe, people who are like us, and two, make us behave in a defensively aggressive way to people who look different, who sound different, who behave differently to us. So our entire physiology is based around the fact that actually we always want to hire people who are like us because they're our tribe. So is there anything you can give to people sort of pragmatically to help them oh, yes. figure out how they move from that bias to move to, okay, how do we start to recruit and really build an environment when all of these people can be 100% themselves because they feel safe because they're adopting the CREATE framework? Mm -hmm. No, I mean, that's a perfectly good question. And there's a few very practical things you can do. I mean, for example, whether you're hiring internally or, or externally, insist that HR or whoever's doing the work give you a slate of candidates that is diverse right? Insist that if you're going to have four candidates, have two be men and two be women and have two be they the men or the women that aren't white, right? I mean, give me diversity to pick from. Tip number one. Tip number two, and I found this incredibly helpful, is to have what we call reverse mentors, junior people who mentor me. Incredibly powerful and genuinely mentor me, right? I mean, I go and ask for their help and their insight. And, you know, what does it feel like to be a junior Asian woman in my organization, you know, what, what does it feel? How do you feel when you walk through the door in the mornings? You know, do you suffer from any microaggressions? What is a micro, you know, I mean, it's incredible. And the other thing is, and this sounds a bit trite, but just do it. I mean, you'd be amazed when you put somebody who's diverse to you in a senior position, not just because they've every chance of having at least as much talent as somebody who looks like you, but also because in doing that, they then open up the eyes and enthusiasm of everybody more junior in the organization who looks like that. Because people can then say, I can do well in this organization. There are people like me up there. And so it unleashes an incredible amount of productivity and inspiration in the organization. And the reverse is true. You put another white man in there and people look at it and say, how will I ever succeed here? People yep. like me can't succeed here. Yes. It's it's so powerful. Gary, they are really, you know, and I love the reverse mentorship. And we're back to the empathy piece. It's like, actually, how many CEOs don't bother to really listen to the people who are rising up their organization? 
and how much money is spent through people leaving with all of that knowledge and understanding and expertise because they know they can't make it. We're just hosing away money. Love that. What's your story number two? I thought I might talk to you about decision-making and empowerment. I come at this through the lens of a big company, which won't be everybody's reality, but it's the reality I know because I've only ever worked for a big company. And I will tell you in a big company, there is typically a huge amount of frustration associated with trying to get decisions made. And people get terribly frustrated because of the process and the bureaucracy and the levels of management and the time it takes to get things done and get decisions. When I say get things done, I mean, get decisions made so things can get done. And so this speaks to empowerment in your model. And I think it's incredibly powerful. And what I've come to learn is that we don't typically teach our leaders And I'm talking about leaders at every level here, not just the most senior leaders, but we don't teach our leaders how to make decisions. We talk about you should make decisions more quickly and you should delegate. But that's not really helpful to somebody because they say, yeah, but how and and when do I delegate? And and, and what do you mean? So how how can I make better decisions or faster? And and it it struck me, uh, that's very true. They haven't had you know any advice. So I thought about trying to deconstruct decision making, and I've come to a few things, and I've stolen a few things from other people that are more knowledgeable than me on, in this space. And here's what struck me, Katz: when you're asked to make a decision, particularly if you're new in that position and don't have a lot of experience, but you are being asked to make a decision, typically the first thing a decision maker will think about is what is the right decision which is not an unreasonable thing to think because you want to make a good decision. And oftentimes it's between options, right? You know, should I go with option A or should I go with option B? Now, option A has a lot of merits, but somebody else is arguing for option B. I can see that option B might work. Is it A? Is it B? I don't know. As a consequence of not knowing, oftentimes a, a decision maker will ask for more data or more information or more counsel, which kills the organization below because they just want Now, my premise is you're thinking about the wrong thing as a decision maker. Don't worry about what right decision is. You should think about two other things first. Number one, what's the risk associated with this decision? Forget what the right decision is. Just think about what's the the risk here if I got it wrong. Second question, is this a one-way door or a two-way door decision? So if I make this decision and it turns out not to work out, can I come back again? Think about those things first. If it's low risk, which incidentally, the vast majority of decisions that are clogging up the system and the vast majority, incidentally, are two way doors. I mean, deciding to spend three hundred and fifty million dollars on building a new factory, it's a one way door. But the vast majority are I I can I can pivot and do something else. So if if it is low risk and it's a two way door, do two things, make the decision or even better, say to your organization when it's this level of risk and a two-way door, you don't even need to come to me anymore. You make the decision. And this gives people some codification to empower and to delegate and to release the organization, recognizing that it's human beings and they want to get on with it and they want to do good things. But you've got to give them the opportunity to do that. And decision-making and process often gets in the way of that. 
And I would go 100% agree with you. And also what I find when I'm working with companies, because that's what BEEP's all about. It's about, you know, the BEEP stands for the Behavioral Enterprise Empowerment Platform. It's all about the fact that actually human beings are naturally problem solvers. That's what we do. If you see a thing, you want to fix it. And so if your entire organization is structured in a way where there's holes not to, or everyone's paralyzed by fear, you're always going to end up with these barriers and these blockers and these negative behaviors. So my question to you is because the other thing I often hear is you get the board saying, yeah, I just don't understand it. You know, we're telling them to just get on with it and do things, but only bring me the good news. Uh, okay, well, maybe that's why. So, so what, what pragmatic, actionable insights can you give our listeners so that they can understand how they can really make sure people feel safe to take that initiative and be empowered to act on those silly blockers? Well, pragmatic tips are more difficult in this area because the issue that you're so eloquently describing is a cultural issue associated with failure associated with getting things wrong and to address that you have to try and have a different culture where the only failure is an absence of learning and that's not a pragmatic tip but it it is what you have to do you have to create an environment if you're the leader of a team of five or a team of fifty thousand you have to create an environment where people can fail safely and learn and if they learn I mean, I talk about it in the context of two-way door decisions. It's not failure. It's I went through the door, I learned something, and I've come back the other way, and and, and on we go. It's not I got it right or I got it wrong. I learned. We improved. We moved forward. I I wish I could give you a pragmatic tip, but it comes down to creating that culture, I think. That is a very pragmatic. And I think that that saying is something that I repeat all the time. The only real failure in business is failing to learn And there are no mistakes. There are just data points whereby you can go, this bit worked, that bit didn't, let's not do that bit again. Boom. That's how we learn. You know, when a child is learning how to walk, it falls over all the time until it gets it right. (laughs) So absolutely brilliant. Gary, what's your story number three? The third area that struck me when you described your model to me and and the kind of human centric approach that that I love that that you speak to sits at the heart of it all really which is well-being and this is another area which I discovered too late in my leadership journey I think not I think I'm pretty confident I discovered it too late because I you know well-being was always talked about as a you know it's an appropriate thing to do to make sure that ourselves as individuals and our organization are healthy and well looked after and have a sense of well-being and and again it was one of those areas that was yeah it's probably the right thing to do you know because we're good people and what i hadn't internalized is that and incidentally that should be reason enough to do it right i mean because well-being is important for human beings but what i've also come to realize is it directly impacts performance and results and if you want either yourself or your organization to deliver higher impact, to win more often, to improve their performance, start thinking about well-being. I I will tell you, incidentally, elite sports are way ahead of business in this area. You know, running the Gillette company, which sponsors a lot of sports. I'm quite close to some of these sporting franchises around. And I I try and learn from them when I interact with them. And, And 
you know, most of the major sports teams, be it NFL teams in the US, in the US or soccer teams in Europe, have sports scientists who really understand that well-being directly impacts performance, not just physical performance, but mental performance, cognitive performance, decision making, agility, being able to handle pressure. And the chief sports scientist for the Chicago Bears, a lady called Jennifer Gibson, has this line that sleep, an aspect of well-being, sleep is a weapon we can win with. And I thought, what a great line that is. And I changed it. So I stole it and changed it. And I talk about well-being being a weapon we can win with. But that's really what it is. And it's so important for human beings. I mean, just staying with the sleep thing for a moment. I have been guilty through my career of championing and heroing hard work. And I came up with a phrase, for example, which was one of the things you need to learn how to do in this industry is sleep faster. And it made people smile. But I should never have said that. I mean, how damaging is that? I mean, I have learned with sleep that if you don't get enough sleep, it harms you over the long run. It certainly compromises your performance. And incidentally, if any of your listeners are listening to me speak now and they get five to six hours sleep a night and they're doing really well and are really successful, please don't discount what I'm saying. Because it's now clinically proven that if you had eight hours sleep a night, you'd do even better. You would do even better. This has dawned on me recently, and I'm now trying to address the error of my ways and champion well-being. Um, sleep is a part of it. Exercise is a part of it. Relaxation, breaks, healthy eating, you know, all those things are an important part of well-being. But again, I mean, if you want to think about leadership, as you should, about how you inspire and empower human beings, then their well-being has to be at the center of it. Yeah. I'll finish with one final thought. And and here's the irony. In my experience, we are much more concerned about the well-being of our plant machinery and factory lines, which we do regular maintenance on and change parts. <laughs> and, you know, and if people are our most important asset, which they are, then start treating them a little bit better. Most important asset and actually probably most expensive asset on your PL as well. So we're talking about precious. And, you know, I think even the wording, human resource, resource to keep the machines running. It's like, no, no, I'm not resource. I'm a human. Thank you very much. Mm. So, you know, and there's all sorts, you know, I talk to lots of people who, oh, yeah, we actually, you know, we're doing meditation lessons now or we're Mm. doing yoga. And I'm like, well, that's great. But is your organize, if your operating system set up in a way whereby people feel safe, where they know they can be empowered? I mean, at the end of the day, do they finish their yoga lesson and go back into a horrible, clunky, siloed experience? Because if that's the case, that's not looking at well-being. That's just tipping around. So what do you actually do? What sort of programs do you run to make sure that the people in your organization... And, you know, your, your point about sleep, I've become obsessed by sleep. I've now got a sleep app. And I measure the percentage because it doesn't just affect your brain. It affects your heart. It affects your blood pressure. I didn't, I didn't realize, that, realize that until recently either. So what do you do? What kind of frameworks do you set up to make sure that your people are really thriving? Um, yeah, again, great, great question. Um, many aspects to it. I mean, we've put gyms into all our facilities. We make gym membership. The use of those gyms, you know, free or very low cost. We have healthy food options, many healthy food options in all our 
uh, work premises. But in truth, the breakthrough comes, like all of the things we've been talking about today, when you start to address the culture as well as the practicalities of this, because you have to make it okay for people to relax and recharge. I mean, we plug in our iPhones and recharge them every day. I mean, just, you know, it's okay to recharge. It's okay to walk away for 10, 15 minutes, take a break. It's good. You'll be more productive. You'll have higher impact. You'll achieve more. As a leader, do that. Role model it. Relaxation is not lost time. It's an investment that results in higher output. And so it really does take the leaders to role model this and talk about it and not do things that I've done as a leader for decades. You know, you need to learn how to sleep faster. I mean, don't say nonsense like I did. And it is powerful. And, and if leaders do it, then it gives license for people to look after themselves so that they can do more. 100%, Gary. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. Every time I talk to an imaginal leader, it validates all of the things that we're working on. It's common sense. You're exactly right. It's just common sense. You look after your people, the business will thrive. Boom. Okay, so we're getting to the point where I need to ask you, what do you want to call your episode of Humans Leading Humans? I haven't pre-thought about that, so you've put me on the spot there. <laughs> Good. What shall we call it? Um, you know, I, wa I, wa I want to be true to some of the things I've talked about because it, you know, being a leader in this day and age requires you to be always curious and to be vulnerable. And I'm still on that learning journey. So, I, you know, I'd love to call it something that, that speaks to that. Um, on a learning journey. You know, on a learning journey um, because I it speaks that. to continual improvement, which I think we all have to strive for leadership used to be about the person with the most knowledge becomes the leader and then leads using that knowledge if you're in that mindset you will never survive in today's world it's not about knowledge anymore as a leader it's about learning and so i think that's the, that's a great time i absolutely love that gary thank you so much for your time and well that's it i'm blown away <laughs> it was great fun cats great to talk to you thank you thank you so much Oh, thank you. Gary, I absolutely loved that conversation. Do you know, I just love doing these interviews. I am always so grateful to have the chance to get beyond the role into the real human. So, you know, thank you so much for your authenticity, for your vulnerability, for admitting what everybody knows and too few admit that we are always learning all of the time because everything can be better always so listeners in last week's podcast kim polman asked us to apply the golden rule to every decision every action and i'm asking you in the coming week do one thing for me apply this sticky sentence to everything everything can be better always Live by it. See what difference it makes to your life, to your team, to your productivity, to their productivity, to your processes, your methodologies, your meetings. Everything can be better always. And I love you. Please let me know 
what difference it makes. You can mail me. Here's the thing at cats at wearebeep.com. Or you can use the form at catskeely.com. Or you can DM me on LinkedIn. But please, in the coming week, just put that one sticky sentence into action. Everything can be better. Always. Seems so simple, makes such an enormous difference. So many thanks again to all of you lovely people who do send me feedback. Please let me know if there are brilliant leaders who you think that I should invite to be a guest. You have been listening to Humans Leading Humans Towards a Future of Work that works for people. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Marketing Society. If you are a senior marketing leader and you need the know-how and the networks and the inspiration to succeed and you're not already a member, get over to their website and become part of that tribe. I would 100% recommend it. Massive, massive thanks as always to Superterrania for the magical sting of stings. Go to We Are Beep to find out more about the Create framework and how we support companies by unlocking the problem-solving potential of humans to enable continuous improvement. If you've loved this episode, if you think it will inspire your friends, your colleagues, please pass it on to them. Thank you so, so much for dedicating the last half hour to join me. Please subscribe. The links are in the notes. Do not miss any more of this inspirational storytelling magic. Be inspired. Be imaginal. Be more human. Thank you.